Corinthians chapter 3, where we continue that series that we started back in September, and we'll be in it for the rest of the, the school year, no doubt. 2 Corinthians 3, you know, every child and adolescent of the 80s, and I'm looking around, I see some children and adolescents of the 80s here, just celebrated a very important date, October 21st, 2015. Now, now why is that date significant? Oh, yes. Okay. Jan is like, she's like the cultural icon up here. She knows what's going on. Of course, that was the day in the year. Marty McFly, Doc Brown were transported in the Back to the Future series um, to discover all sorts of pieces of fiction, right? In 2015, hoverboards, flying cars, the Cubs winning the World Series. And, and listen, the, the poor Cubbies, they're, but they, they're going to make it. Okay, any Cub diehard fans? Okay, Lord bless you and keep you. Okay, anyway, we'll, we'll keep praying for them. I saw that movie as a junior in high school right around the time that Bruce Springsteen, the boss, okay, and, and I mentioned this in the first service, and Josh gave his stamp of approval to the boss, okay, wrote what could possibly be my all-time favorite 1980s anthem. Okay, it was a song called Glory Days. You're familiar with it. I requested it for communion response, and Josh refused, hard-hearted man that he was. You know, it's interesting. It, it's, it's, it's a fun song. It's an upbeat song, but it's actually a pretty profound song because it's a song about fading glory. So consider just a couple of lines here. The boss says, I'm, I'm just sitting back and I'm trying to recapture a little of the glory. Well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but what? Boring stories of glory days, right? You know, it's a, it's a pretty profound reminder for folks that, that our lives, are they not, are full of fading glories. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Okay, I didn't look at anybody in particular, okay, Jay Townley, but anyway, I was just saying, okay, we all look in the mirror. Our lives are full of fading glories, are they not? Our bodies, our health, our relationship, people, jobs, houses, cars, churches, churches. You know, everything in this life, humanly speaking, is coming to an end at some point because this life is full of unfortunately, is it not, of fading glories. And Paul in 2 Corinthians in our text this morning speaks right into that reality. He, he speaks about another fading glory, and it's something that Paul calls the Old Covenant. It's where we get our term Old Testament. And Paul's been telling this story of, of the Israelites. Let's remember, they, God had called them out to be his people. And he has said, I will be your God. You will be my people. You will follow my law. You will obey me. But the problem was they couldn't. They couldn't. And, and that was part of the purpose of the law we saw last week, was to drive the Israelites towards God, where they could cry out to him in mercy and, and faith and say, God, have mercy on us. And so Paul is making the point as we've seen so far, that the, that the Old Covenant, there wasn't anything wrong in and of itself with the Old Covenant. It was just incomplete. It did not have the power to help people obey. And that's why the Israelites had to make sacrifice after sacrifice daily, monthly, yearly, for hundreds of years of sheep and goats because the blood of sheep and goats does not take away sin. 
And all of this was to remind them that, you know, Israel, we need a permanent Savior. We need a new covenant. And Paul in this text is reminding the church in Corinth that they had it. And that this new covenant was better. And it was enduring. And it was more glorious. Because Jesus had come and he had sacrificed and died once for all. No more need of bulls and goats. And not only had he died for his people, he had given them the spirit in their hearts to obey and follow hard after God. But here was the problem. And this is part of what Paul's wanting to address in this letter, but in this text this morning. The people in Corinth, strangely enough, were enamored with the old covenant. See, the, these super apostles, the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem had come, and they said, yeah, 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 Jesus, absolutely, he's our Messiah. But if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to change if you really want to, to see God work in your life, then you've got to observe the forms of the Old Covenant. You've got to observe certain rites and days and circumcision. And, and, you know, you may not think about it this way, but we're tempted, just like the Corinthians, are we not, to live like Old Covenant people. You know, it's so easy Folks, to mistakenly look to the fading glories of this life. Hope, to gain hope and security and permanence. Is it not so easy? And we do it all the time. Guys, when we look to hobbies or money or sex or sports or travel or family or kids, which are all good things, but we look to those fading glories to give us something in our soul that only Jesus Christ can give us, we're living like old covenant people. So it might not be rites, it might not be circumcision, thankfully, it may not be the Sabbath, it may not whatever, but all of us wrestle with this in some profound way. And so, so here's, here's the, the banner question as we read this text this morning. And here's the question to really locate yourself right in the middle of. What fading glory has you in a vice grip this morning? What, what fading glory have you latched onto that you mistakenly believe will give you hope and permanence and will change you or make you more spiritual or make you more hopeful? Because, and this is so important, because Paul is going to lead us to a place this morning of not just saying no to those things. You can do that. And you can grit your teeth and bear up under it. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you just to let go of the fading glories of this life. I want you to grab hold of a superior glory. One that has true hope in it to change you. And so, superior glory is the title of this sermon. And our text is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. We'll splash it on the screen. Just seven verses this morning. And here's what Paul says. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. 
because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Lord, we are asking that as the text calls us to behold your glory, that you would in fact give us eyes to see, and that we would be transformed, just like Paul is talking about here, from one degree of glory to another. Or we, we, we don't want to walk out of here unchanged. We want to look deeply into the, into the mirror of your word and have it reflect back to us who you truly are. And so, Lord, we, we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's what we're trying to show this morning. What happens when you and I grab hold of the superior glory of the gospel? What happens? What happens when the new covenant of Jesus Christ captures our hearts and our minds and our imaginations and it begins to to weave its way into our life and gets tentacles and a hold on our heart? What what happens? What, What is the result of that? And I think Paul points out two things that, that God desires to happen in your life and in my life as we get a, 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 a crystal clear picture of the glory of God. And here are the two things. Superior glory brings boldness to our lives, and superior glory brings change. Glory brings boldness. Glory brings change. Let's look at boldness first. You know, they, they said... There was, in, in theory, a, a lunar eclipse last month. Did anyone see it? You didn't because it was cloudy, okay? Or maybe you were someplace else. I went to see it. I went to see the blood red moon, and there was, no such, there was no such thing. Which brings up an interesting philosophical question. If you don't see it, does it mean it really didn't happen? I'm not sure. Of course, you know, when these things happen, the usual wackos come out of the woodwork. They predict the, in, they predict the end of the world or the zombie apocalypse or, or, or whatever, okay? But, you know, in elementary school... There, I remember a time where there was a solar eclipse, okay? So apparently something happens in the sky. I think the moon and the sun all have something to do with that. And what is, the, let me ask you this, what is the one thing they tell you never to do when a solar eclipse is happening? What, what, what do they tell you not to do? Look at, I mean, duh, okay? Well, let me just tell you, when, when you get a room of sixth grade boys and you tell them absolutely, positively, do not look at this eclipse, what are they going to do? They're going to sit there and stare at it, like I did, okay? So I remember doing this, and I, I got in the car, and I remember seeing these spots kind of coming over my face and darkness, and, and I was just totally freaking out. I, I did not know how I was going to tell my parents that I was turning into Stevie Wonder with no musical ability. I had no idea what, I, I, was, I was terrified, okay? It, you know, but obviously we're okay here, all right? That's kind of what Paul's talking about here. Okay? But he's not talking about the physical light of the sun. He's talking about the light of God's glory. So he's telling this story from Exodus 33. And, and, and here's what happens. 
Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he is given the Ten Commandments, the law of God. God wrote it with his own finger in the stone. But while Moses is away, let's just say the Israelites at the foot of the mountain were not having a very productive spiritual time, okay? They had constructed this golden calf and they were worshiping it and they were, they were kind of caught up in this pagan idolatry and, and, and ritual. And so, and God looks at it and he says, Moses, you see those people down there that you're leading? I'm going to wipe them out. I'll make you a great nation, Moses, but I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And Moses pleads for them. He intercedes for them. He's a mediator for them. He says, God, please, please, please spare, spare them. Give them your mercy and grace. And God said, fine. But let me tell you, Moses, what happens from here on. You and only you can come talk to me face to face. Just you. See, the, the, the tent of meeting is outside, and, and only you can come into that place and meet with me. And so Moses would do that. But when he came out, his face was transformed. It was glowing literally with the glory of God. And it says in verse 12, look there, they had to put a veil over his face so that the people might not gaze at it. In fact, verse 7, a little earlier in this chapter, says the people couldn't gaze at it. Okay? It, 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 was, it was hard. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just like when you go into one of those sleep study places. If you're, men, women, you've ever been in one of those places? And, and they like, and they shine every bright light in the world on you, and what do they tell you to do? Sleep. It's like, whatever. Okay, I'm just, you know, what, that, that, that's not happening. And they, they, but miraculously, you do sleep. I don't, I guess, I didn't feel like I slept any, but they said I did. Anyway, you can't sleep. It's like Las Vegas in there. Guys, it's the same thing with, with, with the Israelites. Moses' face was so bright, the, the Israelites, they couldn't function. And so, so Moses had to put a veil over it so people could live. But Paul says, actually, that there was something much more profound going on here in Exodus. Because we read from that story that the Israelites, they weren't just physically terrified or, or blinded by this. They were spiritually terrified. It says in Exodus 33, they were afraid. They feared the glory of the Lord. And, and for good reason, right? They had made this wretched golden calf. And God had told Moses, Moses, get the Levites to strap on the swords and you go through the camp and you kill every person responsible for this. In fact, after that happened, God sent a plague that consumed part of the Israelite camp. You see, you see, they were afraid for good reason, weren't they? Because God's judgment was being hurled down like a thunderbolt against them. Now, now folks, let me ask you something. And it's not something that we, that we as evangelicals in a contemporary context in the 21st century are, are all the time comfortable talking about. But, it, but do you realize what would happen if you and I were to look on God's glory unfiltered? Do you, can you imagine what it would be to go into the presence of God and to see his glory with no mediator? We would be physically and spiritually undone. We would be just like Isaiah 
in Isaiah 6 when he says, Woe is me. Because God's unmediated glory would vaporize every single one of us. And, and, and that's important to keep in mind because in our context, it is so easy to be casual about God. It is so easy to be flippant about God. In, in a minute, we're going to talk about how we, we are now bold with God. But we must not mistake what, what Moses is pointing to. Guys, God's glory is nothing to be trifled with. Do you remember? It says 80s day in here for some reason. We're going to keep going with it, okay? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? When, when Harrison Ford a.k.a. Indiana Jones, Han Solo, and Jack Ryan all into one. Okay, we know him. And he was chasing after the Ark of the Covenant, and they were getting ready to open the Ark, and what does he say not to do? Don't look at it, right? Just like the eclipse, or people will be melted. And there was like some very terrible graphic special effects in that movie. But anyway, nonetheless, now that's not biblical, okay? It wasn't that people looked at the Ark and were vaporized. However... Steven Spielberg just stumbled into something here, which is, which is true. God's unfiltered glory would consume us. And sometimes it's, it's so easy to let the knowledge of God, the holiness of God, rest lightly on us. And to just, yeah. Paul says, no, 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 no. Verse 13, he says, Moses put a veil over his face. And he, listen, to, look at what he says in verse 13. So that they might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to the end. What, what, what does he mean there? Because every day when the people would see Moses come out of the tent with a veil over his face, they were reminded of one thing. I need a mediator. I, I am separated from God. I have to have Moses go meet with God for me. Because if I did it myself, I would be judged and damned. Moses was their mediator. Which makes what Paul says in verse 17, look there, just one of the the more profound things we can ever read in Scripture. And it is literally life-changing. Verse 17, he says, But when we turn to Christ, what? The veil is removed. Folks, you no longer need a human mediator. You have a mediator, and his name is Jesus. And it is a new covenant, and it is a more powerful covenant. It is a life-changing covenant because now, here's what Paul says, you, this is just extraordinary, with boldness, can go directly to God. You can be this morning in his very presence and not be consumed because God is mediating through himself a personal relationship and communion with the God of this universe. Do you realize we can be even more bold than, who does it say? Moses even more bold than Moses. And so Paul is telling the church in Corinthians, why are you guys messing around with all this old covenant stuff? Why are you trying to relate to God through forms and religious symbols and rites and observances? Don't you realize what you have? And, and here's, here's, a personal, here's a personal application point for us. And I think this text points to something really important. Folks, do you realize that everyone on earth 
has a mediator. Everyone. Every pagan, every non-Christian, every person in the world. All of us are looking to something to make sense of things in our life. Every person in here, me included, has a functional mediator. And if you want to know what yours is, just ask yourself this question. When things fall apart, where do you turn? If you want to know what your functional mediator is, the thing that that, that stands between you and God that you use to make sense of things when only Christ will do, just answer this question. What do you do when things fall apart? Where do you turn? You know, when you feel pressure at, at work or depression or anxiety, where do you turn? Food? Sex? Hobbies? Whatever those things you turn to, those are your mediators. Because you know what a midlife crisis is? Do you you know what this is? I think it's an attempt to, to grab hold of a fading glory. Men come to a point in their life, typically men, and they look at broken dreams, and they look at disappointments, and they look at failed goals, and they just say, if I have a new wife, I can have a new life, and I can be okay. And what those things are doing, they are functional mediators between themselves and their own disappointments. Let me say this to all the students in our midst this morning. You are under enormous pressure to conform, to fit in, to be on the inside. But, but there is nothing more terrifying, I think, for an adolescent than to feel that they are on the outside of whatever circle they are orbing in. And there is immense pressure to engage in sexuality or drugs or alcohol, what are those things? They're just mediators. They're just mediators between you and your feelings of rejection. Guys, I don't know what it is for you, but every single person on planet Earth is pulled towards some functional mediator in, our, in their life. And, and, and the Israelites were like, if we have Moses, we are okay. And Paul says, you've got something better. You've got something better. Christian, do you know you have something better? Because here's the deal with mediators. Whatever, you've put, what, whatever hope you place in a mediator, that mediator will fail you. It will disappoint you. If you're living your life through your kids, except our kids, they will disappoint you. Okay? They're on the road there. They will. If, that, if that's where you're deriving your meaning, your purpose, your career your house, your profession, whatever it is, when the going gets tough, that's where you turn. And Paul says, no, no, no. There's a new covenant, which means, look at verse 12, Paul says that we have hope, and because we have hope, we can be, what does he say, very bold. Now, there's all sorts of application that we could pull from this idea of of boldness and being bold, all the way from evangelism to taking risks for the gospel, and that's, that's for another sermon another time, or maybe I'll use that extra hour that we have today to, to get into that, okay? But look, let me point out one point of application about boldness that I think will land on every single person in here, because I know it's landed on me. Folks, do you realize, because of Jesus Christ, you can now be very bold 
with your sin towards God. And, and let me explain what I mean. Guys, w- when you screw up, what's the first thing you want to do when you screw up publicly? You want to, first of all, look around and see who's watching, right? Okay. What is your impulse when you were just like uber embarrassed and you're in class and the teacher asks you a question you don't know or you're making a presentation at work? If you're like anything like me, you just want to run and hide, okay? When, when, I, when I'm embarrassed publicly, I want, to, I want to run and hide. I'm like the wicked witch of the West in, the, in Oz. I just want to melt into the floor, okay? There was, there was a guy, and in, in, in Susan knows Jamie, um, he's a pastor now, but he was one of my roommates in college, and, and he was the guy that you did not want to go to the rehearsal dinner with, okay? Because you could leave it to him to say the most inappropriate, embarrassing thing at the... Do you know that guy? That's why we did not have open sharing at our rehearsal dinner, because we didn't want Jamie to say anything. If he's listening to this, that's why, bro. Okay, so, so, so every time he would break this, I wasn't even the one saying these things. But because I was with them, what did I want to do? I just wanted to melt into the floor. Now, let me say that I think in our flesh, that is our human propensity when it comes to sin. And it is spiritually devastating. Because when you sin and your propensity is to hide and to shield yourself that will cut you off from the very mercy and grace of God that God has designed to heal you. Paul says in verse 17, look there, you have freedom in Christ to be bold towards God, to run towards God in your brokenness and wretchedness and sin, knowing that you will find mercy and grace in your time of need. Are you bold with God with your sin? Because I think, let me just, there is so much freedom in confession, is there not? You know, I I sat down yesterday to work on this sermon, and I knew I was coming to this point about being bold towards God with my sin, knowing that whatever I confess to him, he gives me a new heart and a clear conscience, and, but I'll be honest, I didn't want to go there. There were some things I was wrestling with in my heart. I did not want to go there. Because I knew that if I confessed that to God, what was I admitting? Well, that I had sinned. And if I admitted I sinned, then I would have to look at how this sin impacted others. And I might need to go tell other people about it. And I might have, and that could like my reputation. So I'm sitting here wrestling with all this out on the back porch. And Susan comes out. And I was just, we were just able to kind of process that and confess some of those things on my end. And, you know, it was hard, but let me say this. Guys, there's incredible freedom in confession. There is incredible freedom in running straight to God in being bold in admitting who we are apart from him. Because I'm convinced, okay, and I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. I'm convinced that many, now, I did not say all, many. I am convinced that many of the emotional, psychological, physiological, and psychiatric issues and problems that we have, many, not all, really stem from unconfessed sin. That we are running 
from facing the truth about ourselves or what we've done or the consequences of our choices. And we are scared to death to tell ourselves the truth of bringing these things to the light. But Paul says there is such freedom. There is so much freedom there. You can be bold to God with your sin, knowing as you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16 says this, and let's flash it on the screen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And James is not just talking about physical healing there. He's talking about true inward change. Before we leave this point, folks, where in your life have you just, has, has a fading glory just got its hooks all into you? Where, where have you vested yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually? And, and where do you need to be bold towards God and say, God, th- this is who I am and this is what I've done and I'm asking that you pour your mercy in your grace out on me. Paul says there's freedom in Christ in that. There's true freedom. So the, so the, so, so the superiority of the glory of the gospel strengthen, strengthens us to be bold. And finally, it brings real change. The gospel, the superior glory of the gospel and of Jesus Christ and the new covenant brings real change. Guys, you know, we're, we're in a culture, and I think you know this, that is consumed with how to better itself. So, so next time you are in Books a Million, you want to wade through the cesspool that that place has. Okay, so, so you walk around and just note how consumed our culture is with figuring out how to help people change, how to help people better themselves. So rows and rows and rows of books, food, diet, exercise, parenting, marriage, jobs, Leadership, love, relationship, finances. And what do all of them have in common? What do all of them have in common? We found the key, right? We found the solution. We found the secret to change with whatever problem you have. I believe verse 18, for Oaks, is one of the most profound texts in all of Scripture. Because I believe it is here that Paul gives us the clearest explanation that we find in all of the Bible for how people change, for how Christians changed. So let me, let's read the verse once, and I want to say four things about it. Verse 18, And we all, Paul says, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, as we unpack this, I just want you to get in your mind, get that one thing in your mind. What is that one besetting sin? What is that one fading glory that's got its hooks in me? What, what's that area that's become my functional mediator that you so desperately want God to change? You want him so desperately to work in you. Think about that thing as we unpack this. Okay, first, first thing we want to say about change, anyone, and this is important, 
Anyone can be changed. Anyone. No one is too far gone for the gospel. See, look at the text. Paul says that when Moses was the mediator, there was one person in that story who was, who was changed by the glory of God. Who was it? Moses. He was the only one. He was the only one that got to, to have that transaction with God. But, but what is the first thing Paul says? And who? We all. Guys, that's amazing. Amazingly good news. We all with unveiled faces. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, there is is no area of your life that is not beyond the reach of the gospel. Um, I know some of you have been dealing with, 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 with besetting sins or, or family members whose hearts are so hard. But just understand this, that no sin is so treacherous, no addiction is too ingrained, no spiritual hardness is too hard for God's glory to break through. Paul says, and we all. It may be decades you may never know the full extent of God's sovereign purpose in people's lives. Because I'll, I'll tell you this, and I don't have any specific marriage in mind when I say this. Over the 18, 19 years that we've been here, I have seen Christian marriages that, from a human perspective, I just thought, that is dead men walking. That marriage has no hope. Apart from the slither of thread of commitment that holds this couple together, this, this, this couple is at rock bottom. But when those same couples have just gotten a glimpse of the glory of God and the new covenant realities, lives have been transformed. No one, parents, your children, families, your in-laws, college roommates, your friends, who, whoever is beyond reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing we want to say about change, and this is, I think, this is, this is maybe the most important thing here. Change comes by looking. Change comes by looking. Look, look, at, the, look at the text here. It says, Paul says, and we all with unveiled face, he says, beholding the glory of God. Now, the, the, the Greek word for beholding it kind of sounds like Pizza Hut, so I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Okay, Beholding literally means to fixate on, to study, to look intently into something. Okay? So, so if you go over to Premier or, or Kinetics, you notice how like the whole place is surrounded by, by mirrors? Have you, have you noticed this? Okay? It's actually kind of creepy. But anyway, if you can go in and just sit and watch people... Just, just, just watch them, if you can do that without being creepy. Okay? Just sit there and watch them. And they will kind of walk around, and they will stop, and what will they do, inevitably? They'll gaze. They will, they will look. They'll look deeply into the mirror. They'll look at themselves. And, and you, you, I see some of you guys, premier guys in here, you do your flexing and stuff, and believe me, you look terrible. But anyway, but, hey, so, so now why do we do that? Why, why, why do we do that? Because we want to see the progress, right? Such as it is. 
We want to see what we are being transformed into. And this actually reveals, I think, a deep, profound biblical truth, and here it is. What you are beholding, remember, behold, fix, stare at, hone in on like a laser beam. Whatever you are beholding, that is what you are becoming. You can tell what I'm, beco- what I'm beholding in my life by what I'm becoming. I can tell what you're, becoming, what you're beholding by what you are becoming. You know, I, let me say this. I, I love movies. And, and, and every time I go out of town with Josh Hughes, I make him go see a late-night movie with me, some like horror flick that singes his conscience for a long time. But anyway, so I like going to the theater. I like renting, downloading, reading about movies. Um, we'll go to Hollywood Studios. I would be totally satisfied to ride the great movie ride a hundred times. A hundred times, okay? I, 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 loved, I love movies. And so sometimes when everybody goes to bed at night, I'm like, dude, that's, that's my time, right? So it's 11 o'clock and fire up the computer and I'm, I'm eager to veg out, to zone out. I want to I pop in the earbuds. I want to I catch whatever, whatever's new out that day. And, and, and on one level, that's okay. Okay, this is not... This, that's not the point. Movies can be good and all that. But here's something that I find. I find that when this becomes a pattern in my life, it actually does something to my soul when I am beholding movies all the time. See, because when I stay up late, I don't know if you know this, but when you stay up late and you get up early, you're kind of tired. Did you realize? Anyway, it's It's amazing. <laughs> And I go to bed thinking about the movie, and I wake up tired, and I'm distracted, and I'm passive, and I'm disinterested. And it's like, oh, I've got to go lead people into the very presence of God today at church. Hmm. Maybe there's something to this whole beholding thing. See, because I can easily become spiritually dull, and I'm being changed by the very thing that I'm fixated and beholding. I'm becoming what I'm beholding. What is that for you? Because we are all beholding something. You know, the, the, the word behold in this passage, it actually means to stare intently as into a mirror. Because, you know, mirrors in Paul's time were not like the mirrors we have, okay? You can't call Miller Glass and have them do their thing, right? Mirrors were a flat, circular piece of cast metal, interestingly enough. And the more you polished the surface, the better the reflection. Which means if you want a good mirror, you had to continuously, constantly, diligently apply yourself to polishing that mirror. Folks, that's actually a great metaphor for our spiritual lives. Because the way change happens is that we look deeply into the glories of Christ. And Christ is like a mirror. And that mirror reflects back the glory of Christ onto us. And just like Moses, we are changed You cannot change without beholding the glory of the gospel and the word of God. It cannot happen. And Paul is telling us 
how it happens. And, and guys, we're, we're so fearful of legalism sometimes that we, that, we, that we just try to talk our way out of just the clearest sense of what God's word says. We're going to talk about this in two weeks. That Paul says that the glory of, of, of Christ is contained in the gospel. And folks, the gospel is only found in the word of God. Which means that every day, every hour, every moment, we have to be polishing up that mirror. The mirror of the word of the glories of Christ. And looking deeply into it. And praying and meditating it, meditating over it. And trusting that as it reflects Christ's glory to us, that just like Moses, we walk out of the tent of meeting what changed. Because we have seen the glory of God. This is Paul Tripp says this, we have an awe problem, A-W-E. That's our problem. We have an awe problem. We are so beholden. There are so many distractions culturally for us today. And, and, and we are becoming what we are beholding. And Paul says, there is a better way. There is an eternal way. There's a life-giving way. And it comes by looking into, beholding the glories of Christ. Last thing we'll say, and then, then we're done. Because as you look at this text, and, and I'll just say a few things quickly here. Guys, when Paul says we are being transformed, this is a third point, that, that should be immensely hopeful for you and me. Because sometimes, let's be honest, we can't see change. We can't see change in ourselves. We cannot see change in our children. But Paul promises if our faith rests in Jesus Christ, this change is ongoing. That's the, that's the, the tense of the verb. We are being transformed. We are being changed into the same image. And it says this, by degree by degree. And you know, th- this happened in the, first, in the first service. At some point in the service, I felt like I was baking in my own sweat up here. Okay? And, and, and I had a little conversation with our crack sound team back there. And I, I asked them in the middle of the sermon to turn down the air. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. I didn't really think about it after that. But after about 15 minutes, I noticed, hey, I feel kind of cool. It's, I feel comfortable. And you know what? They, they just ratcheted it down, what, a degree? Two degrees? And guys, sometimes change in our lives and other people's lives is just like that. We don't perceive it. It might be slow. But Paul says it is certain. So Christian, take, take hope in that. Fourth and last point, and this is it. Paul reminds us, this is, this is good, only one source for true change. There's only one source for true change. And Paul ends this verse by saying, in this, okay, read it with me again, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because, you know, we live in a culture that says change is possible by a variety of means. Significant change. Spiritual change. And so whether your change comes through Jesus or the Quran or Buddha or yoga or whatever. I mean, just insert, insert, insert religion okay, in, into there. That's sufficient. 
But Paul reminds us, and this isn't this interesting? Paul was a Jew, and what does he say in Philippians 2? I was the Jew of Jews. And I was righteous in every way from a Jewish standpoint, but what does he say? Those works were like dung. They were worthless. They were garbage. Which reminds us that in this life, the only works that please God are the ones that emanate from the new covenant heart. That should be a real clarion call for us because it's so easy to say, you know, that neighbor, I, I know he, he probably doesn't know Christ, but man, he's got such a good marriage. He's got, he's got such good kids. They, they, are, they are so moral. Does he, do I really need to go there with the gospel? Paul says, absolutely you do. It can be so easy, parents, to say, you know, my, my kid's a good kid. He's, he or she's doing all the right things. Apart from the life-changing new covenant relationship of Christ, with Christ, Paul says, it's nothing. It must come from God back to God. And ultimately, that's our call to the table this morning. Only one person has the power to change you and me and that's jesus christ through the new covenant of his blood do you know him this morning folks do you know him if not we would love to introduce you to him where pastors or elders will be up front after this service we would love to tell you more about the story of jesus let's pray